Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. We find in Melchizedek a picture of Jesus. Now, a few other significant things. He's not just a king, he's also a priest. He he functions as priest and king. Now, if you look at the Old Covenant, it was actually forbidden to be a king and to function as a priest. There were three significant offices for the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant. There was the prophet, the king, and the priest. There were times when a king would exercise the gift of prophecy, but never, ever, ever was a king allowed to exercise the office of priest. But all three offices pointed to the Messiah who would fulfill all three. And Jesus Christ did. He fulfilled. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. And Jesus is our king. He has fulfilled all three. But here we have an individual who is a prophet and a priest of God. Or rather, uh, uh, a king. And then he blesses Abraham. If Abraham is the greatest, the patriarch of faith, here is this man, Melchizedek, with no beginning of days, no end of days, blessing Abram. And the rule is that the, ble- the lesser is blessed by the greater. So if you were greater, spiritually speaking, you would be the one to bless others. And here is Melchizedek signifying that he is greater than Abraham himself, blessing Abraham. Psalm 110, verse 4, is a messianic prophecy as well. And it tells us that the, the coming Messiah would be, would be a priest, but he wouldn't be a priest according to the Levitical priesthood. So, because the prophecy was he would be born of Judah. That the scepter would be in Judah. And so they knew, okay, if if the Messiah is supposed to be a priest, yet he's born of Judah, how is that reconciled in the Bible? Psalm 110 reconciles that. It says that he would be a priest according to a different order of priesthood. He would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek who didn't have beginning or end of days, his priesthood remains forever as far as we know in Scripture. And and Jesus is the fulfillment. We learn that in Hebrews chapter 7. If you want an in-depth study on Melchizedek, more in-depth than what we're doing now, check out Hebrews chapter 7. It's an amazing chapter. So it's for all these parallels, it's for all of these reasons that most, myself included, uh, believe that Melchizedek is actually what's called a Christophany. A Christophany. What is a Christophany? It's, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem at the appointed time. But throughout the Old Testament, you see God showing up, talking to men, God putting on flesh. Sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord. And he appears to people in the form of a man. He'll actually show up later on in Abraham's life in the form of a man. So when you have God putting on flesh in the form of a man to speak his word, you have Jesus, God the Son. And Melchizedek is likely, I won't say it with with absolute certainty, but I I believe this is a Christophany. He's likely a pre-incarnate Jesus showing up on the scene uh, to meet with Abraham. Isn't that amazing? And then it says, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. He he gave tithes to him. He, He donated to the ministry of Melchizedek. Wow, you're, you work for God. You're the, you're the priest of God. I, let, me, let me give you money 
to support you. Abram, he showed us last week how open-handed he was with the land. He said, hey, Lot, you take your pick, man. God's going to take care of me. And here, we see more evidence of his trust in God in that he gives of his possessions. He's willing to give of his goods. He's generous. And when he sees a ministry of God that he knows is going to be effective, he gives to it. He gives to Melchizedek. And I want to talk to you guys about giving tonight. Um, and what's funny is I, we never talk about giving unless it's in the scripture. So, so many of you guys are visiting. You're like, great, it's one of those churches. <laughs> They're going to get out the Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets and start passing them around. <laughs> we actually don't, we don't talk. One thing I love about what our policies here at Calvary Tucson is we don't, we don't ask for money. Um, our pastor and a lot of the Calvary uh, founding people believe that it was, God's just going to provide. We don't need to stand up here and beg people for money. So what they've done is they, they put these agape boxes around. That's what they call them, these wooden boxes. And they say, if you, if you want to give, that's where it's at. It's between you and the Lord. We're not going to ask you to give all the, all the time. There might be something special that's, hey, we're, we're, we're looking to support this or that ministry. But for the most part, it's, it's, our pastor, Pastor Robert, he's so open-handed and so generous. I've been so blessed to come under that. But we're going to talk about giving right now. And I'm going, to, I'm going to really talk about it because guess what? You guys don't actually give to Ignition. It's, we, don't, we don't receive tithes here. So I can, I can speak totally freely knowing that, you know, I'm not asking. I'm personally not asking for your money. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go into it. So before I do talk about giving, though, I want to say that in the New Covenant, there is no law. Uh, and it, it is not supposed to be obligatory that you give. And nowhere does it say you have to give 10%. Although 10% is a good, uh, a good place. Uh, a good range. I think God, he was intentional when he gave that in the Old Testament, but it's not a rule. You, you don't have to do it to be a Christian, but it is important. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about. It's a privilege. Abraham saw how privileged he was to meet this Melchizedek and to be able to give to him. It's a privilege to be able to be invited to partner with God in the work of the ministry and to be able to actually fund it financially, to be a part of it in such a way in fact, it's been said oftentimes that giving to God is a get-to, not a got-to. It's something you are allowed to do, invited to do, not something that you are obligated to do. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 gives us kind of the, the new covenant policies for giving. And the Apostle Paul says, first off, you should be generous. You should be open-handed. He says, you can be closed-fisted, but he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. So like your investment in the kingdom of God, if you only want to give God a little, there, you'll only be part of a little bit of the building of the kingdom of God. If you want to give a lot, you'll be a part of building a lot, using a lot of your resources to build the kingdom of God. So first off, he says we should be generous when we give as Christians. He also says that we are not to give out of reluctance or compulsion. So like if you are just, someone's laying the guilt trip on you, you got to give and we're going to, we're going to have to shut our doors if you don't give. And man, I have kids to feed and all this stuff. And you're like feeling, oh, I feel like I don't want to. You're not supposed to give out of obligation or compulsion. You're supposed to give, rather it says cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. You should, you should feel good. about. When God leads you to give, it can be scary. You can wonder, wow, can I afford that? But there's also this excitement like, I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to help that. And that's what God loves. He loves the cheerful giver. The one who's like, yes, 
You know, um, some other churches do it differently. There's this one church down in Sierra Vista I've heard about that like they love that verse that God loves a cheerful giver. So like part of their worship is they'll all be like dancing with their money and like walk it up, <laughs> drop it in. And the pastor that was telling me that he was like, I was there. So I pulled out a five and I was like dancing around. It's like it was good. We were cheerfully giving. <laughs> we do it a little differently here. Just quietly put it in a box if you'd like. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the new covenant mandate. Not grudgingly, not by compulsion, but joyfully, really feeling God's leading you and, and being generous with it, trusting God. Something we share here regularly at Ignition is the six, thing, six practices of a godly person. And in, with our commitment to disciple one another, these six practices are important in your growth as a Christian, and it's worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune. Worship, read, pray, serve, give, commune. Giving is a huge part of that. Giving it is an important part of walking in the will of God and the will of Christ. Again, it's not a rule that you keep to be saved, but as you grow as a disciple of Christ, it's something that you will naturally do. Giving. In fact, I'll tell you guys, it's been said that if you want to see where a person's heart is, look at their bank statement. And it's so true. Where, what do you truly value? Well, you'll be spending money on it. You'll be trading your, your money for what you truly value. And at, when I first heard that, I was like, what would my bank statement look like if, if this dude was like looking at me? What would he think about me? But it's so true. What, where do you invest? The Bible says that where your tre treasure is there, your heart will be also. That oftentimes your treasure and your heart are in the same place. Right? And if we truly value heaven, and we truly value the salvation of souls, if you truly value the kingdom of God, you will put your earthly possessions and invest them in the kingdom of God. And as we do this, as we trust God like Abram did, what it does is it has a cool effect. It actually helps you loosen your grip on money. The, oh man, the world is under so much bondage just trying to cling to their money, trying to live for money, doing everything they do for the pursuit of money. And when you, as a child of God, are able to just give your money, and then watch God bring more, all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm not even stressed about money. It loosens your grip on, on money. And it also allows you to be a part of storing treasure in heaven. When you take money, the, the American dollar, which is going to decline pretty quickly here with all these trillions we're pumping into the system, if you take that money, you could invest it into Bitcoin and... <laughs> And you could potentially save the value of your... I've had financial friends that tell me this. You could also do this, be even wiser. Invest that money in the kingdom of God and lay your treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thieves do not break in and destroy. The stock market of heaven never crashes. Your investments there are eternally secure. And it's way better than anything money can buy you here. It's sold. It's salvation. You know, we can, we, it, and it, it does, it takes money. God doesn't need your money, I'll say. Like, God is not sitting back on his cloud like, man, I really hope, uh, I really hope they give tonight because I don't know if we can pay the bills next week. <laughs> like, God is not stressing. He's going he's gonna to accomplish things, but are, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to take part in, in helping feed the children across the globe in the name of Jesus? What an amazing, like, 
eternally, on the other side of eternity, that's going to look so incredible. Um, compassion is a great ministry. All the ministry that took place through compassion and all the different supporters, to be able to see that, that end result in the kingdom of heaven, how exciting is that? And you, they still have kids that have needs. You could still be a part of investing in the kingdom. So Abram gives us that example as a, as a man of faith. And get this, not only did he give of his wealth, but he also refused to take money that he felt wasn't from God. Watch, let's check it out. Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Now, I just want to tell you that that is totally presumptuous of this king of Sodom. If Abram just conquered everything, and he's like, he's like the, the king of the hill at this point, then it, it all belongs to him regardless of what the king of Sodom says. But he's like, hey, man, you could keep all that stuff. Just give me my people. Just give me my people. And, um, and listen to what he says. He says, but Abram said to the king, I have lifted my hand to the Lord in a, in, in a vow in a sense, devoting himself. Um, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. It's almost like he premeditated this. Like God put this on his heart. Like, hey, watch out, man. That king of Sodom, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's kind of a fox and he's going to watch out. Just don't, just don't trust him. So he's like, I, I'm not going to take any money from this dude. I'm not gonna, I don't trust this guy. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Uh, let Anner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. So he's like, these other guys, if they want to take some, let them. I'm not taking a thing from you, though. Lest, lest people be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Lest when God's promises are fulfilled in my life, you claim the glory for them. Lest when I become this great nation, the king of Sodom says, he's, we should call them Sodom because basically that was my money that made him great. He's like, I don't want you to have any part of the share in God's glory in my life. That's what he's saying. And so he actually refuses money. Now, unfortunately, there... A lot of people don't give financially uh, to God. But what's even worse is a lot of people will take any money they can get without even thinking twice. What? Hallelujah, God, he's going to bless me with this money. You know what I mean? And they just take whatever money. But we need to be very careful about where our provisions are coming from, where we receive our provisions. Why? Because we want to make sure that God gets the glory in our lives. As Christians, as children of God, we want him to be the one who ultimately provides for us, not man. And again, he should be the one at the end of our lives, in the midst of our lives, who gets the glory for our provisions today. Right? God should be the one who gets glory for the resources of a church. Not some, not some wealthy man in the community who's going to boast and put his name on the bench out front. And, you know? God should get the glory for all of this. No one should be able to say of us, I made them what they are. Only, only God should have that rightful place in our lives. So be careful. Be careful how much you're depending on certain people. Thank God for bosses. Thank God for wealthy people who hire us, who, 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 under whom we can work. But be very careful that you don't become dependent on these people, again, lest they take that glory and they take away what God wanted to do within your life. People ought to look at us and say, wow, God really, God really takes care of them. They really trust God, and God really provides. That should be the story of our lives. 
being careful. There are accounts of, of wealthy people coming into churches and, and wanting to donate large sums of money, but oftentimes with agendas. Um, pa- Pastor Robert tells a story about when they first started, uh, and they were meeting at a hotel on Speedway, and they had just received uh, um, information that they could get a facility on the south side of town, actually right where our west campus is now. And there was a gentleman in the congregation who found out, and he said, you shouldn't go there. That's a bad area of town. I, um, no, no, Robert was like, no, no, we feel, we feel the Lord's leading us down there. He said, no, you don't get it. Um, if you move down there, I'm not going to go. And I give a lot to the church. I'm, I, I, give a, I give a substantial amount to this church. And I praise God, Robert remained a man of integrity. He didn't compromise. He's like, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way, but we're st- we still feel called down there. And so a couple weeks later, Robert, he knew the guy wasn't coming anymore. He hadn't been there. And being a little bit nervous, he's like, he called the secretary. He's like, hey, I just wanted to check to see what's coming in. And they've received more, more tithes coming in than they did before. And God was just like, just trust me, Robert. I'm faithful. There was another guy, Raul Reese, uh, a Calvary Chapel guy out in California, who was at, to, he was at, I believe it was a lunch appointment with this wealthy guy who kept trying to get his attention. And he slid over Raul, this big old check, and, and I think Raul kind of knew who this guy was. I think he knew this guy wasn't really a genuine believer. Um, and, and you have to watch out for those motives. Like, was he, maybe he was just trying to buy grace, not realizing what the gospel was. But I love what Raul said. He, he slid the check back to the guy and he said, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. God wants you. And, and God blessed Raul's ministry. And, um, but these men, Robert, Pastor Robert, Pastor Raul, they had the, their heart in the right place at the right time. They could have been very tempted to be like, you know what? We do need that money. But they were careful to allow God to be the one to lead them and God to be the one to provide. And you should do the same in your life. I should do the same in my life. We have to be careful that God is the one that gets the glory. And what I love as I close this out what I love is that Abram says he lifted his hand to the Lord. He's like, I have, I have made this vow to God that he would be the one to receive all the glory in my life. And I just want to do that tonight. I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. To stand before God, to lift your hand and make that vow that he would receive all the glory uh, for your life. Because he loves you. Because more than providing financially for you, he has made a way to eternal life for you by giving his most valuable possession. See, Abram risked a lot, but he didn't risk as much as God did. God gave his only begotten son, the, the prince of heaven, so that whoever would trust in the, his finished work on the cross, he would, they would have eternal life. They would not have to suffer. And so those who raise their hands to Christ says that whoever would believe, as many as would call on him, as would receive him, would be called children of God. And so tonight, if you want to receive him for the first time, or you just want to commit yourself to him again, uh, we're going to do that. I plan on raising my hand, because I want God to give him, uh, to receive all the glory for my life as well. Let's all stand, and let's pray. And Father, you are, you are good. You are faithful. Lord, we ask for forgiveness when we lose sight of these things. When perhaps our eyes get too much fixed upon our our monetary possessions. Lord, to the point where we won't help other people. To the point where we we won't even take any risks. 
for you and for your kingdom. But Abram took risks. Abram used his, his, his wealth as a man of faith to do your work, to represent your love. And we want to do the same, God. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us courage, to give us wisdom. And we, Lord, most of all pray that your Holy Spirit would be in us, that we would represent the love of Christ well. And so I, I just want to pray for the men and women standing before me now, Lord, that as, as you are in the midst of us, and as we're all representing various paths, various seasons in ministry, uh, in ministry, in our walks, in our relationships with you, maybe some of them coming out of mistakes, coming out of a rough week, feeling really spiritually low, and we want to rededicate our lives to you, Jesus. We want to lift our hands to you, Lord, in commitment to you, saying, may you receive glory. And if that's you, you just want God to receive glory for your life. Just raise it up. Raise your hand up as an outward sign. And Lord, I raise my hand as well. Lord, I want you in the faith inside my heart to impact my body. And I want you to receive glory for my life. And I pray for the hands that are up, Lord God, that you would empower these men and these women. God, that you truly would be glorified in them. That as they commit themselves to you to serve you, Lord, they would see amazing things like Abram did. And that the people in their lives would be awed, not at how great these individuals are, but how great their God is. And that's what we desire, God. We want your spirit to fill us afresh and to use us in grand ways for your glory, Jesus, and help us to get out of the way. May we not claim any glory for ourselves. And for those of you, you can put your hands down. For those of you who have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you would like to, if you're listening to this down the road or you're in here tonight, I encourage you, this is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire existence, let alone your life on earth. It will drastically change your eternal perspective and it'll change your eternal address and destination. It will take you from the path of wickedness leading to destruction to the path of life that leads to everlasting life. And if you would like to make that change now, if you would like to follow Christ for the first time, simply just raise your hand if you've never done that before. And if you're listening to this online or on Reach Radio as well, you can receive Jesus Christ right now, right where you're at. And if you would like to receive Him, I'm going to give you a prayer to to follow. It's just a roadmap to help you communicate what you should communicate to the Lord as your heart is is being reborn and saved. You just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I confess my sins to You, Lord. Lord, that I have fallen short. Lord, that I need forgiveness. I confess that I am on the path of wickedness and I have not been living for You. But I also know that I can be forgiven because of Jesus. Because He loves me. Because He died for me. My sins can be washed away. And so I invite you into my life, Jesus. I turn away from the path of wickedness so I can walk in righteousness and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.